I'm sure if, we, um, if you were to be asked your favorite psalm, many of you would respond to say that it's Psalm 23, and, and rightly so. It's a, it's a beautiful psalm that offers us so much comfort in all that we experience. It's a psalm that is so familiar to us, both, both in, in its words and in its imagery, but also in our personal experience of it. Personally, I think of a time uh, in 2018, I took, I took leave in a time really of, of burnout. And in my journal, multiple times you know, from, from this season, I've written out this psalm and I've gone back and I've annotated it with my thoughts and reflections and referred to it throughout that journal as it just spoke hope and comfort and, and peace to me through that season. Pastorally, I've sat alongside people who, who are dying, and almost always this is one of the scriptures that I will read to them as they literally enter the valley of death. Or then at the funeral services, for those who are now living in the shadow of that valley, uh, that this psalm is again offered as a comfort. But it doesn't have to be anything as significant as death or burnout. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a major depressive episode or ongoing anxiety. This, this psalm speaks to us in, in all the reality of our life. Whether it's struggles in parenting, just being exhausted. Whether it's being stressed about a work project or concern for a family member in another state or another, another country. And the reason why this psalm speaks into any and all of these situations that we go through is because it so clearly asserts God's presence with us in and through all things. The psalm that immediately precedes this one, Psalm 22, uh, that I realized in looking at, I happened to preach on here exactly three months ago today. But but the psalm preceding this one, Psalm 22, uh, it opens with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's a psalm, really, of God's absence, of looking for him in the midst of our experience but not finding him. I don't think then it's an accident that the psalm that comes straight after it, our psalm for today, Psalm 23, so clearly and strongly affirms not God's absence but now his presence, presence with us and the comfort and the care that is found in that reality. In, um, in the book of Colossians, Paul, in chapter 3, tells the Colossians to set their minds and their hearts on the things above. And we need to give God our, our attention. We need to look at his word and understand what it has to say to us. But we also need to give him our affection. Because God is not just something for us to know about. God is someone for us to know and, and to love. And so I'm mindful of that then as we come to this psalm today. I mean, if you've been here for a while, you know that my approach typically is to work through a passage to break it down into smaller pieces to come to a, a greater understanding of it. But the risk of that is, that is that we'll walk out of here with our heads full of more information about Psalm 23. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But this psalm, though rich in theological truth, I think is meant to hit us differently. We're meant, after reading it, to walk out of here, not just with our minds full of information, but with our hearts full of love and peace and comfort and reassurance and courage. We're meant to leave here walking in intimacy that much closer to our shepherd, trusting in him and looking to him and being held in his presence. 
And so with that in mind, let's dive into the text. If you've got your Bible, let's have it open, Psalm 23. As we do so, for us to be prayerful that we will engage and respond to the text, not just with our heads, but also with our hearts. And so it opens then. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is a psalm of David, who we know himself was a shepherd, uh, a shepherd of sheep before his elevation to be the king of Israel. But even as king, he was called to still be a shepherd. His call was to be a shepherd of the people of Israel. And so when he talked about knowing God as his shepherd, he knew what he was talking about. It's not like me saying God is a mechanic because I know zero about cars. But David knew all about the role. And so he knew the absolute appropriateness of calling God his shepherd. And in fact, God is called the shepherd of his people in many places throughout the scriptures. But what's distinctive here is that David personalizes the experience. This is not a generic, you know, God's sovereign, God's in charge. He's got all things under control so I can trust in him. This is a specific personal declaration about the God who has revealed himself and made himself known. He's saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. He's the one who personally looks after me, so I trust in him. Yahweh is this personal name that God revealed to Moses when, when he asked who it was who was sending him to rescue Israel from Egypt. And in our English Bibles, you'll, you'll see it's the word Lord all in capital letters, and it's, which is representative of, of this name of God, Yahweh. And with Yahweh as his shepherd, David says he lacks nothing. When you live at home with, you know, millionaire parents, you don't need a job because you lack nothing. When you work for a top restaurant with a generous chef, you don't need to buy yourself dinner because you lack nothing. When you're raised to know that you are loved and that you are valued, you don't need to seek desperately for assurance and acceptance from others because you lack nothing. When you have the God of the universe personally shepherding you, you lack nothing. David has everything he needs. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He has everything he needs as his evidence in what follows. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. The, the shepherd leads the sheep to food and to drink, to nourish and to sustain life. But notice that David doesn't say that he provides you know, dried up hay and muddy water. I mean, both of which would functionally do the job. It would feed the sheep, it would satisfy their thirst, that they'd be fine. I guess. I'm not much of a shepherd. But rather, he says that the shepherd leads them to green pastures that are lush with life and, and to the quiet waters. I mean, the, the imagery is beautiful, isn't it? It evokes this sense of calm and of peace. And so what David is saying is the shepherd does more than just keep the sheep alive. 
barely meeting their basic needs. He, he goes above and beyond, giving abundantly more so that David can say that he refreshes my soul. Not to satisfy my hunger, not just sake my thirst, but he refreshes my soul, my very being. And in this place of abundance and of blessing, he makes me lie down. Would have enjoyed lying down for a bit longer this morning rather than getting up in the cold. But lying down, it's this position of rest, isn't it? Of doing nothing. Not striving, not achieving, not pursuing, not doing, but, but simply resting. It's the shepherd who does the work. It's the shepherd who provides for us. It's the shepherd who protects us. It's the shepherd who leads us. And so we can lay our burdens down and find peace and stillness in and with him. He's got this. And so we can rest because he doesn't. Now, a human shepherd will. A human shepherd needs to take a break. They will sleep. They will rest. A human shepherd is limited and finite and can't do and provide everything. But the psalm asserts that it's God who is our shepherd. And it's God who's watching over us. And the Psalm 121 tells us, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. And so we can lie down and we can rest. And then so far then, the psalm has been talking about God. That this is what he does, that this is what he's like. But now it shifts to talk to God. Recognizing God as his shepherd, recognizing his care and what he provides. David is now able to say in verse 4, Even though... I walk through the darkest valley. I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The God who leads me beside still waters and who guides me along the right paths, he also walks with us through the darkest valleys. But even there, there's no cause for us to fear, for you are with me. The dark places are where we can feel, as was expressed in Psalm 22, that God has actually forsaken us and abandoned us. But this psalm affirms to us that God is still right there with us. David asks in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the implied answer is, is nowhere. There is nowhere that he can go to be separate from the presence of God, not even into the darkest valley. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I think it's often in the darkest valley that God draws closer to us. Think of the shepherd trying to lead the sheep through where it is dark and where the light is dim and the shadows are dark. Where's the shepherd? I mean, he's not way out in front beyond sight. He's going to be close and near, reassuring and guiding the sheep through. Well, or think of that parental instinct when a child is sad or scared or upset. What, what, what do they do? A good parent will, will wrap them up in their arms, holding the child close with their head often tucked in tight against their shoulder. And there, with their, their head close against their parent's chest, for them, things are dark for the child. But it's safe because mom or dad are near, that they are as close as they can be. 
And so the psalmist can say, Oh, fear no evil, for you are with me. It's not to say that there is no evil, that, that there's nothing to fear in the situation that he's in. After all, he'll mention in a moment's time that he's in the presence of his enemies. So it's not to say that there's nothing to fear, but it is to say that he has the confidence to get through and that he won't fear because God, his shepherd, is with him. And then David makes a change to his analogy. In these first verses, God has been the shepherd and David the sheep, but now he shifts. And so God is now the, the host of a banquet, and David is the honoured guest. You prepare a table before my enemies in the presence sorry, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And with this new picture now of a, of a banquet table, David continues to express his confidence in and his intimacy with God. For, for him to eat uh, in that culture, to eat with someone implies entering into a relationship with them. It's why Jews would not eat with Gentiles because it implied a, a relationship, but there was this fundamental kind of separation and distance between them. It's why it was such a scandal that Jesus would eat with tax, tax collectors and sinners. It implied relationship and welcome and acceptance and inclusion. And so here God has laid out the table for David as a gracious host. And in doing so, he's expressing his favor and his intimacy with him. And he refreshes him by pouring oil on his head and provides not just what is necessary but provides in abundance as he pours till his cup is overflowing. Now, in the scriptures, the cup is actually often an image of God's wrath that is being poured out and emptied. But here it's the opposite. Here the cup is being filled up to the point where it overflows with God's blessing. But notice then that all this takes place in the presence of my enemies. God's blessing and abundance come when life is still hard. Which says that hardship is not a sign to us of God's absence or indifference, but rather it's then the context, it's a context in which we can experience his goodness and his love. And so he says, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice, it's not the enemies, it's not the dark valley, it's not evil that follow him all the days of his life, or that follow us all the days of our life, but rather it's God's goodness and his love. Notice too that, that the psalm doesn't finish in that dark valley or in the presence of the enemies, but rather it finishes in the house of the Lord, where God lives and where he makes himself known. I think there's hope here to say that the dark and the hard is only temporary, but God's goodness and his love is enduring forever. Well, one commentator I read described this goodness and love that, that's following, following us. Describe them as, as the shepherd's sheepdogs. That while he's up front kind of leading the way through, these sheepdogs of God's goodness and his love, they, they keep the sheep and they keep us. They, they keep us from 
wandering away and keep us moving with him where he leads, heading in the right direction. And that direction for us is to live our lives in God's presence. He's our shepherd, always with us. And then we walk out our lives with him in faith and trust and relationship. One thing I noticed in studying this psalm this week, something that I hadn't previously noticed, I don't think, is that it starts and ends with God, with Yahweh. God frames or brackets the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's like God contains it, if you like, in the same way that he frames and contains the reality of our lives. All of our life is lived within the boundary of his presence, of his care and of his attention. He's the context in which we live and move and have our being. And I think David, by framing the psalm in this way, subtly seeks to remind us of that fact too. As we've gone through the psalm, one of the things that I've deliberately done, he did slip in briefly there for for one moment, but one of the things I've deliberately done is try to avoid talking about Jesus. There's a richness in the psalm by itself that I wanted to capture and to express. But all that richness and, um, and, and value and comfort and peace and all that comes through this psalm is then heightened when we consider Jesus in view of it. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. This psalm is meaningful because it asserts that the personal, knowable God is our, is our shepherd. But with Jesus, in whom is the fullness of God and who is the exact representation of his being, we, we could read the psalm to say, not even just that, that Jesus is my shepherd, but to read it to say, Jesus is my good shepherd. And we see ways upon ways in which Jesus fulfills this psalm. He's the good shepherd who knows his sheep and his sheep know him, responding to his voice in trust. In himself, he gives us bread to eat that brings life and gives us living water to drink so that we would never thirst. He invites the weary and the burdened to come to him and he gives rest. He's achieved our salvation, doing it for us so that we don't have to, I mean, not that we could anyway. And so then he is the narrow way that leads to life. He is the right path that we are to follow which he then leads and enables us to walk those paths as we live out our faith and our trust in him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he sent his spirit into our lives. So it's not even that he's just walking alongside us or ahead of us or maybe even behind us, but he lives and walks in us. And so and from there he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us, but he's with us always. He tells us that in this world we'll have trouble, but that we can take heart, we can take comfort, we can take courage because he has overcome this world. He tells us he's preparing a banquet feast in his kingdom for people to come from the east and from the west. Jesus is the expression of God's love and his goodness towards us. And through him, God dwells in us and we will spend eternity with him. Jesus is 
is the good shepherd, so I lack nothing. Jesus is the good shepherd, and so my soul is refreshed. Jesus is the good shepherd, and so I fear no evil. Jesus is the good shepherd, and so my cup overflows. Jesus is the good shepherd, and so I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is the good shepherd. So let's pray and let's give thanks that we have such a shepherd watching over us and caring for us before we then move into a time of communion. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for this psalm that is so rich and precious to us. A psalm that speaks into so many situations of our lives and our experiences and in and through them all asserts your presence with us, your love and your care for us, your protection of us, your being with us and leading us and guiding us through. Some that speaks to us of your love and your goodness that are with us always, even when it's dark and hard to see. We thank you for this relationship that we have with you, you as our shepherd, and the love and the care that you provide for us. But more than that, God, we thank you for Jesus, who is our good shepherd, who fulfills all the kinds of hopes and promises and, and hints and ideas of this psalm and just makes them so much more. We thank you that in Jesus we have not just a shepherd, because Israel had shepherds who just looked after themselves and who, who benefited from the flock. So we don't, it's not just that we have a shepherd. We don't have a hired hand who, when danger comes, then runs away and flees because they don't want to put their own lives at risk. But we have in Jesus a good shepherd, the best shepherd. And, and we just thank you and love you, and worship you, and trust in you because of who our shepherd is. And so we pray this in his name. Amen.